0: Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and founder of Compete Nutrition. Today's waffle podcast is all about training and competing in the heat. And if there are some strategies, nutrition, hydration wise that can actually help you with that. Now this waffle goes through basically what happens when you are training or competing in the heat first up. Because when we can understand what the body's doing, it makes it so much easier to then understand what we need to do with our food and hydration to combat that or at least improve that or change the adaptations from it. Um, So this podcast is all about going through the what and then going through the how. So um, we go through the strategies that you can use um, in terms of hydration, uh, also electrolyte replacement, cooling strategies, recovery strategies, all those types of things so that you're leaving this podcast with really easy, actionable takeaways for the next time that you're competing in hot events or also training in the heat as well. Um, There are some risks associated with um, heat-based training, so we just want to make sure that you are going into these sessions uh, in the best state possible to get um, everything you can out of your body for the performance, but also making sure you're looking after your health as well. Uh, If you would like more individualized support when it comes to your daily training nutrition or your race day nutrition, please let us know. Head on over to our website competenutrition.com with an E-A-T. Um, what we will then do is do a full free prelim assessment where you hear from a dietitian that talks through your goals, what you're looking to achieve and how we might be able to best support you in that. So enjoy this next waffle. I hope it's helpful. I hope it helps you get through those next hot, hot sessions as we hit our summer uh, and looking forward to hearing from you soon. Cheers. So to start with, heat has this ability to impact a fair few little systems within our bodies when it happens. So it has the ability to impact our heart. Um capacity but also our um, gastrointestinal tract function um, so our gut function and also our thermoregulation so our ability to keep our core body temperature at a temperature that our body is happy at so um, exercising in hot conditions um, really do impact our performance in different ways which we'll talk about tonight so when we're thinking about heat sometimes we just think about what the temperature is that day but the truth is with temperature and how it affects a performance it's also really impacted by things like not only the temperature but also the humidity the wind um and you know often the temperature of the day is actually taken in the shade so you've got to think about that um the radiation of the heat in the sun in the hottest conditions and it's often you know 10 to 15 degrees hotter out there rather than the um, ambient temp that's often taken in the shade so there's lots of different things that to think about when we're thinking about temperature and also our risk of heat stress from that temperature so when there's um you know things done in terms of like cancelling races or post painting races or changing the um game strategies for the race or the events such as like extra breaks that kind of thing they're taking into account a whole lot of things not just what the um temperatures forecast to be that day so for example in um the ironman in italy recently they changed the distance of the event and it wasn't just talking about the um temperature of that um day it was also thinking about the different um temperature things that were playing a part in that day and how they could impact performance and overall the the biggest thing they think about is the um health and the health risk so when we're thinking about where um heat plays a part um the biggest thing that we do find in terms of performance is that our aerobic capacity is um reduced so what that means is that our um, ability to burn fuel in terms of using the aerobic system is limited so we're able to um Basically, everything feels harder than it will would in cooler conditions, but also our ability to use that aerobic system is limited. So we tend to rely more heavily on uh, the anaerobic system and basically anaerobic means not oxygen. So um, both of those things play a part in going through carbohydrates or muscle glycogen. Muscle carbohydrate stores more readily and faster uh, and also means that we fatigue quicker. Um, so we also then rely on different fuel sources and need more carbohydrate coming in so all these types of things we're going to be talking about tonight um, additional to that um our core temperature rises so if you aren't able to cool your body or you're not sweating enough and then cooling your body enough compared to how hot your body is getting there's a mismatch there, and your core temperature rises. Now, anything below forty degrees in terms of um, your core temperature tends to be okay, and there might be a little bit of um, stress towards that. Um, and, but to be honest, it's more those over forty degrees core temperatures that we start to see, you know, the organ failures, the risk of um, you know loss of function and then eventually to the point of um heat stroke we're looking at death actually being a risk factor so it is a very serious thing that can happen in hot conditions that we need to be aware of but also know it's more of like a progression toward that point Um, once we get to a stage where our core temperature isn't able to be controlled by the strategies that we're about to go through so as your body temperature rises it only takes a rise in not as I think it's 0.2 degrees of a rise in your body core temp to actually start that process of sweating. Now, sweating, as you all know, is something that our body uses to actually improve our core temperature and reduce it and make sure that we're coping okay in hot conditions and coping okay when we're exercising. And basically our body is happiest at that set core temp. So any rises or, or falls in that way, our body is going to try and correct it. Um, it's a beautiful thing of homeostasis. So um, what happens is the blood supply gets um, priority to the um, skin and what we're looking at there is being able to then, hopefully by having the skin closer uh, the skin, the blood closer to the skin, we have a better ability to cool it. So that's important because it's going to come in handy when we go through the gut upset stuff soon. Now, to make sure I don't go completely out of order, I'm going to make sure that I've done the right thing, yes, we are good, excellent. (laughs) Now, when we're talking about gut uh, upset, what we're looking at there is heat can actually change our gut lining and also our ability to absorb um, different nutrients and nutrition and hydration stuff during those um, conditions. So as our core temp rises, one thing that happens in particular is that the blood supply gets shunted away from the gut and towards the working muscles, and also, as we just said, the skin to help with cooling, and that happens to a bigger extent in hot conditions. So you're more likely to have gut upset um, in hot conditions than you may have had in cooler conditions. And an example of that um, is my Ironman in Buso. So Buso Ironman, I'd done all the training, I trained my gut, I was like, you know, a sports dietitian, so I was making sure that I kind of covered all bases there the big thing that I didn't cover is actual, um, getting ready for the climate that was over there, which was a 39 degree race. So I did have a gut upset that wasn't severe, but it was definitely, um, more than likely due to the hot conditions than anything that I changed with my nutrition because it was very well practiced and trained for, Um, so that's just something to consider and we'll go through how to counteract that a little bit soon. Um, now the other thing that does change, um, is the performance, of course. So with all these changes going on, um, there's a big thing that we need to think about, which is our performance. And that's why probably most of you on tonight is, well, how can I improve my performance in hot conditions? Now, the impact on performance is really mainly around that aerobic capacity. So in um, longer events, so your endurance-based events, That's when heat and hot conditions can really play a toll on your performance because it's mainly the aerobic system that's affected. A fun fact is in hot conditions, single sprint efforts are actually improved in performance. So that's a really good thing. And for those little sprinters out there, then happy days. The hot conditions are actually going to be a benefit for you. However, there becomes like this tipping point with that. So if you've got a re- repeated sprint happening, um, think team sports or tennis, um, where you're required to do repeated sprints over and over with a you know variable recovery time or not even a recovery, there is a tipping point where you do see a reduced performance in those. So we generally see a reduced um, aerobic capacity, of course, as we just said, but the sprints within those games actually tend to be sustained. So that's a win. Um, but it's definitely in terms of making sure that you're keeping your running Ks up and your um, amount of running volume in that game, it's really important that you kind of follow the strategies that we'll go through. Um, so when we're talking, <clears throat> um, just making sure I've covered it. Yeah, when I'm talking about performance, the biggest thing that plays a part is actually not nutrition related. So um, I'm not gonna cover those, they're not in my lane, but I will mention them. So um, the big things that will definitely help your performance in rec- in heat, sorry, um, are acclimatization and acclimation. Now, sometimes they get used interchangeably as the same terms, but there is a little bit of a difference. So, um, sorry, I'm just checking that I haven't got any things. Yeah, um, so acclimatization, is heat stress um to the body and it's generally like aiming for um basically when you travel it's a natural environment so acclimatization is actually when maybe you're going to summer like now where our bodies are acclimatizing um or you've gone to an event into a hot condition your bodies are acclimatizing pre-event acclimation is when you use like strategies like saunas hot baths um heat rooms those types of things um, to improve your ability, a body's ability to cope with the heat so you're really striving for like really high sweat rates and um really high body temps oh what are you laughing at you Now i don't know <laughs> it's madness here um, so yeah that's definitely one of the biggest things and the other thing is your aerobic fitness so because aerobic fitness and aerobic capacity is one of the biggest limiting factors in heat working on that and making sure that is really a strong point with you going into any events and any races is really going to be a big thing. Now, what happens when you acclimatize or you use acclimation strategies? So um, over the first few days, um, I just wanna make sure I get this right, basically you get an increased plasma volume along with um, increased and improved fluid balance, but also a reduced heart rate. So all those types of things start to happen in the first few days. Um, And you start to actually feel a little bit of less um, exertion. So that perceived exertion, so how hard it feels when you're doing an exercise starts to reduce. Um, And then what we also wanna look at basically over time is knowing that this takes some time. So if you're someone who doesn't have like, you know, one to two weeks before a race of going somewhere and then racing, then you need to be using the acclimation strategies to try and get your body used to where you're going to race acclimatization and the big changes that we want to see in terms of the nutrition perspective is that you do get a reduced core temp you get changes to your sweat rate and your sweat sodium Um, when you've been in an environment from anywhere from about three to ten days so that 10 to 14 days time period before you do an event is really really crucial in terms of all the different changes that your body goes through Um, and then you tend to lose those acclimatization things you know every day once you leave that climate so If you don't have time to the new environment that you're going to, to race or do your event in, then it's really important that you try and do um, some of the strategies to help you be ready for the heat. Come to that point. If you can go to the place you're racing or your event is at, you know, one to two weeks beforehand, that's a really big win. And you'll definitely see some really big positives to that um, if you can do it. Now, The interesting thing with acclimatization is that it actually means that because your sweat volume is going up, you're becoming a really efficient sweater. You're very good at sweating and your sweat um, amount can go up. It may be like, oh gosh, I need to replace electrolytes. Um, But the truth is once you acclimatize, you're actually losing less um, sodium and chloride in your sweat than you would um, if you were to be unacclimatized. So if you're going to an environment where you haven't done any adaptation strategies, you're going to be losing a lot of sweat, but also a lot of um, electrolytes with that as well. So it's just something to consider um, definitely in your coping of that if it is something that you're doing. Um, Now, when you're looking at, um, I might go water this time, sorry when you're looking at strategies that can help with all these things in the nutrition and hydration space the first thing that you might think of is um things like fluid so when you're going into an event that or that a training session because both are really important you want to be in what we call a state of view hydration and what that means is that you're going in hydrated, not necessarily overhydrated, not underhydrated, you hydrated. So um, that means just looking after your hydration in the lead up to that event or that training session. And if the training session's in the morning, being you hydrated in that state is actually a little bit tricky. But what you can do is really make sure in the days leading up to it, you're looking after your hydration, not necessarily going crazy at all, but just making sure you're continually topping up the um, hydration and not having to play catch up. Um, on the day of your race or event um, is definitely one of the key factors there in terms of hydration. Now, you may have heard of um, basically looking at hyperhydration, and hyperhydration refers to basically trying to um, absorb more fluid um, than you usually would um, in normal circumstances. So basically our body's in this beautiful equilibrium, it's very happy, um, and if you're going to drink too much, you'll just excrete more of that um, but there are some strategies that will help you drink more and hopefully absorb more uh, and reduce how much you actually get rid of in your urine so um, there's a couple of different things um, both pretty easy Um, How much water should you drink in a day to be considered hydrated? Oh my gosh, the best question. Eight glasses? No, I'm joking, Georgie. So this is such BS. Like, it's just like a, I feel like it's total just a figure pulled out. Um, So there's no real set amount. Um, Everyone varies a lot. So to give you an example, sweat rate can actually vary from anywhere from like 100 mils an hour up to three and a half liters an hour so an individual sweat rate between people that we work with can be very very variable so everyone's sweat um sweat needs everyone's fluid needs are actually really really different as well so the easiest way to think about it and how much fluid you need Um, Per day is to look at your wee color. I knew I was gonna have to talk about this at some stage tonight. Anyway I'm a dietitian talk about poo and wee all the time. I apologize. So blame Georgie for this one Um, So when you wee, have a look at the color. Now if it's a pale yellow You're looking pretty good in terms of hydration. You don't need to be peeing clear all the time Um, Just a pale yellow is a pretty good sign that you're you hydrated now as that yellow color gets um, darker this is a real indication that you need to be looking after your hydration a little bit more. So um, really consider how often you're going to the toilet, what color that is, and that'll give you a good indication of if you're drinking enough. Now, if you're taking multivitamins or B vitamins, they're water-soluble vitamins. Um, So a lot of that will be excreted in your wheat and you will end up with fluoro wheat another colour wee that you need to be aware of is a result of beetroot juice so not all of us get this um, but some of you will pee with um pink and totally freak out it is very normal for um this to be excreted so if you've got pink wee don't panic um, but it does make it a little bit harder to judge your hydration a little bit when you're looking at pink wee rather than yellow so um just something to consider but that's probably the easiest takeaway thing to look at um just because everyone is so different when it comes to um hydration Now, um, where was I? Hyperhydration, yes. So this is a strategy if you know you're going to be limited with opportunities to drink, or you know you are more than likely um, a pretty crappy drinker and you tend to be dehydrated all the time or struggle to keep up with your losses. So if you're a really heavy sweater and you struggle to um, drink enough, and I'll talk about that a little bit later as well, then hyperhydration may be a strategy, particularly in the longer events or the really hot, humid events where you're going to be losing a lot. Um, Hyperhydration can be something you use. Now, this is something that I'm not gonna go into detail about because you should definitely be working with a sports dietitian if you're using these, Um, but there is the opportunity to sodium load, and there's also the opportunity to use glycerol. So glycerol as a background is a um, three carbon alcohol, and what it can do is actually help us hold on to fluid and also reduces our rate of weighing it out as well. So there's a bit of a double whammy happening there, which is super handy. It used to be on the banned list, <clears throat> but now it's been taken off as of January 2018 uh, and can be used for hyper hydration strategies pre-event. So if you want help with that, absolutely let us know and we can help you for sure. Um, but it's definitely something to consider. There's only a few different um, ones that you can use, um, but just let us know and we'll let you know the safe one and how to use it. Um, but it's just very individual, so I'm not going to give broad advice um, about that tonight. Um, now, if you've looked after your hydration going in, you've looked after your hyper um, hyperhydration if you think it's something that would benefit you, now we're talking about during. So during hydration, what you're wanting to do in any training session, if you're not sure how much you're losing, is a really simple thing where you weigh yourself before and after your session. And if you're losing more than 2% of your body weight, it's probably just a little thing of like, maybe I need to look after my hydration more, maybe I need to have more during that event or training session. So say if you weigh 60 kilos, one percent would be 600 grams so if you're losing anywhere over like that 1200 gram 1500 gram mark so if you've reduced your weight by uh one and a half kilos after the session that's when you're kind of going maybe i need to be drinking more and need to be looking after my hydration so basically we're seeing a few detriments to performance anywhere over that two to three percent loss kind of mark now it's not you know for shorter events we don't generally see that too much but for longer events it becomes more and more important And there's no real difference in um, whether you drink to thirst or if you plan your hydration out in avoiding that for those longer events. So whichever works for you. Generally, we work off. um, So for athletes that are really competitive, you know, that elite pro level, there's often very limited opportunities to drink, even in things like triathlon and running. They're running quite quickly through um, their events and they're not actually taking much fluid in. So I tend to plan their intake a little bit more. Um, And if you are a slower competitor and more likely to stop and drink um, at the aid stations and things like that, and you're also losing less fluid um, out of sweat because you're working at a lower rate, um, we need to be really conscious about that as well, so we need to plan that quite well um, and make sure you're not overhydrating. Now, the biggest um, cause of what we call hyponatremia, so that's really low electrolyte levels, or more specifically low sodium levels, that can be very dangerous, um, is overhydration. So we just need to be cautious of making sure we don't put on weight during an event or a training session, and we're just, you know, meeting our losses or losing a little bit is really the balance there. Um, and post exercise in terms of hydration if you are weighing yourself it makes it really easy so what you're wanting to do whatever you've lost during that training session you want to times it by 1.5 and drink that so basically 150 percent of your losses so if you've lost that say um kilo mark you're then looking to drink about 1500 mils or one and a half liters the hours following that um, session to try and make up and what that is doing is just counteracting the stuff that you're going to lose in your week uh, and hopefully help with your absorption of what you have lost so nothing too crazy nothing too technical just looking at hydration now that's probably a bit boring for everyone so let's get into the fun stuff as well now there's also the pre and what's called per-cooling. So pre-cooling is able to reduce your perceived exertion in an event and also training sessions. So what we're trying to do is that cooling effect and also reduce how um, fast your body core temp rises. So um, one of the most effective way to do, to do that, you would have seen like ice used, ice best, that kind of thing. But a really cool thing that you can do is actually internal cooling. And you can do that through ice slurries or ice slushies, whatever you wanna use the term for. Um, and by reducing the core temp, you actually then give yourself a little bit more time in the race before your core temp rises, which is great. The only thing you need to know here is though, that is best used um, in humid conditions. So um, the big thing with windy, hot conditions is that sweating is really, really effective at cooling us down and probably one of the best things that can happen. Um, so on the bike, you can tell that that's going pretty good. Um, and also in hot, windy conditions, um, areas and climates then the slushies and slurries aren't actually as effective and the reason for that is is that because the sweat is so necessary to reduce our core temperature in those climates we don't want to reduce our capacity to sweat and ice slushies do that in human environments when we're, our sweat rate is ridiculous and also our cooling potential is lower um, that's when the ice slushies and pre-cooling can be super effective so just think about the climate beforehand that before you just start doing everything, if you like. Um, so the percooling means during, um, and I have this really good memory of being handed iced water on the bike of Man in that 40 degree day, and it is one of my clearest memories for the main reason. I think I declared love to everyone on the sideline who was doing it. So um, they had ice within their water, very simple thing, um, but any fluid under about that 10 degree mark Um, when you drink it it improves how you feel and your perceived exertion um, gets lower so basically it just feels like you're doing less work for what you're doing which is always a win when you're doing an event Um, so drinking cooler water or iced um, fluid uh, also helps us drink more because it's more palatable we enjoy it and we look forward to that Um, in hot conditions having cool or iced fluids is really really effective and something super easy and something you can do so an example would be you know looking at the fall the next day, knowing that maybe I could freeze like a quarter of my bidden or drink bottle, whatever you want to call it, and by the time I need it, it's going to be well and truly close to defrosted. It'll be a cool temperature by the time I need it, and that's just an easy strategy that we can definitely use in hot conditions. So, just a really simple little takeaway there. Um, another cool one is menthol. Now, menthol you could think of as uh, fisherman's friends. You know that um, that like tingle on your mouth um, that is um really like basically a cooling effect especially if you drink water after it and what they found is that through menthol and that mouth um, effect if you take menthol um, within a drink it can actually reduce your perceived exertion and help with your um, cooling so that during an event can be a really cool little strategy however disclaimer menthol is very very toxic so i'm talking micro doses of menthol i needed to do this and never try and make your own ever like just don't even do it the accuracy that you need in scales is so important and not many people could guarantee the accuracy of their scales to do this properly so make sure if you are considering menthol talk to a sports dietitian or your sports doc or snc and make sure you do it properly um, with products that have already been um, made commercially That is definitely where I'm ending that because, yeah, it's just not worth the risk and absolutely um, very, very um, toxic and something to consider. So that's pretty much us. In terms of um, the hydration and um, nutrition in the heat, you need to be considering that your need and your usage of carbohydrates is going to be higher. Your need for fluids and replacements of fluid is going to be higher and you can use Cooler fluids and pre cooling strategies, if you wanted to help with that. If you know there's going to be a mismatch between your um, fluid loss and fluid intake, then hyper hydration strategies like your glycerol and sodium loading can absolutely be used. Um, and just considering the whole picture, so making sure that you're um, doing any acclimatization or acclimation strategies that you can, leading in and working on your aerobic capacity. So they're your big ones. Um, just making sure the questions. So feel free to float through questions now. Um, I've got a couple rolling in, so I'm just going to start to go through them. <laughs> Sorry, just looking at the comments. Um, so the first one um, is stitches. So what causes a stitch, and how can I prevent it? Now stitches are hilarious in the way that man, there's just been so many theories about the um, cause of them. It's now thought to be an irritation um, of the lining that's um, in the area that hurts. Uh, And the biggest thing to remember is that most people will grow out of stitches. So if you ask most adults, they can't necessarily remember the last time they had a stitch. Most of us, um, so you're looking at stitches being about 80 to 90% common, like, or, you know, regularly had in people under 20 and only 40% of people over 40. So there's a reduction or a growing out of, if you like, of stitches. Big things that you can try and do to, if you're someone who does does get stitches and it drives you crazy is know that you can it will eventually go similar to a cramp. It will go, you can run it out, but it can hurt for a long time after it's finished um, really that painful stab. Um, bending over and touching your toes can help. Um, but additional to that, it's actually um, making sure that before your event or training session, you're not eating too close to that. You're not having a really big bolus of food or fluid. Um, And also just being cautious of having really concentrated fluids. So an example of that is one of the studies actually showed that um, concentrated sports drink or sugary drinks or things like juice, they're about, um, they can be anywhere from like 10 to 15% carbohydrate. Um, And what we find with that is that there's a higher risk of um, gut upset. Now, sports drinks done properly you really wanna be only having about six to eight grams of carbohydrate per 100 ml. So six to 8% of carbohydrate and they tend to be fine because your body is going to be absorbing those quite well. Really concentrated sugary um, fluids tend to be quite slow to um, get through in the gut, and because they stay there, they can probably um, be making that a higher risk. But seriously, there's just so many theories. We don't necessarily have a set thing that caused them, but there's just a few strategies that we know can help. Um, and even things like getting fitter isn't known to um, improve it. So that's just one thing there um but otherwise that is nutrition and exercise in the heat um so thank you so much for joining us everyone super excited to see so many of you pop on it's been awesome and i hope you've had an awesome thursday and we will see you all i am sure next week with another topic so feel free to flick through questions concerns ideas on topics um because we love hearing your feedback so thank you everyone and all to all my newbies on here thank you so much for joining me i hope you enjoyed it bye i oh